somebody asked me just a few moments ago, they said, is it appropriate to say, thanks, Keith, happy Good Friday? And I go, absolutely, it's appropriate. I, I think that when we understand that Calvary was not a tragedy, Calvary was not an afterthought of God, before God ever created us from the foundation of the world, God had planned Calvary for us. Before he ever created us, he knew that that would be a part of his plan. And there are really times that I wish that people would study the cross of Jesus more. There are times that I wish that people would do what the old hymn used to say, just survey the cross until the power of the cross, the fire of the cross, the passion of the cross ignites our life when we begin to burn again with a white hot love for God and an understanding of what Christ did for us at Calvary. I have recommended so many times to you, memorize the Bible, memorize Bible verses, but I would say Sometimes in your devotions, make a very selective passages of Scripture that you choose to memorize. Memorize and think about just those passages about the cross. Read and reread and reread the Gospels of the Lord Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as they lead you to the cross. Because the story of the Gospels is it starts with ages past, then it goes into years, then it goes into months, then it goes into days, and then moment by moment focuses upon what Christ did for us at the cross, and then we'll deal with the resurrection on Easter Sunday morning. But as you reread the Gospels over and over, suddenly the power of the cross becomes so real to you, and you begin to understand the text that I'm going to share with you tonight. I would suggest going back and learning some of those old songs again about the cross. Songs about what God did for us rather than songs about ourselves. I would suggest reading at least one good book a year on the cross of Christ. And you know it's a good book when you have to reread the book. Sometimes people tell me, I've read a book, and so I'll ask them questions about it, and they'll go, well, I don't remember that. And I go, well, yeah, that's chapter 4. Let's go down to where he was talking. I don't remember that. You see, a, a good book has to be reread over and over and over again until you just wring the marrow out of it. If you read a story, you can read Harry Potter and just tell everything that happened to Harry Potter, you know, because you read the story. It's, it's just easy to get. But when you read about the cross then it helps you to understand why this night for Christians this day is called Good Friday because what Christ did was not come into this world to save people because he failed to get them to be good people I mean you can't find any better teaching I was speaking to two Muslims yesterday and they love the teachings of Jesus. They love, we were sharing and talking about the teachings of Christ. You can't find any better teachings than the teachings of Christ. But Jew, Gentile, black, yellow, red, or white, 
You're never going to be good enough. It's why Jesus showed us how much he loved us when he died to save us from our sins. Can you say amen? Stand with me tonight and let's go to the book of Galatians chapter 6. One of Martin Luther's favorite books of the Bible. He's talking about people who are trying to add to the cross. So we'll pick up with verse 12. He says, those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. And even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. In other words, no one's ever been able to just to keep the whole law. I called a Jewish friend of mine today to wish them a happy Passover. And we talked about this for a little while today. No one has ever been able to keep the whole law. So it's not the keeping of the law, because you can't do it, that saves you. The only, one, the only wants you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died. Let me read that to you again. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether we've been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. Now this sentence is very important. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. I ask you tonight, Father, in Jesus' name, as we glory, as we boast, Lord, as we have sang about what you've done for us, God, as these young men have presented to us, oh Lord, a skit that we'll think about for a long time. Lord Jesus says, Pastor Corey, let us in communion. God, remind us of those elements. We broke the bread because your body was broken. Lord, we drank the cup because someone spilled the juice into the cup for us tonight. And it was your blood that was spilled for our sins. And Jesus, we drank it not only in remembrance, but with the hope that soon and very soon, Christ will come again. For it's in your holy name I pray. And all of God's people said, Amen and Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this evening. Now I have quite the challenge upon me tonight. Because we made you a promise about the service time. And so I'm going to ask you, even if I ask you to clap, don't clap. Okay, even if I ask you to give the Lord a hand of praise, don't do it. Because I want to preach this message and keep my word at the same time. So if you clap, I'm going to rebuke you, but that'll never happen again. <laughs> Second thing is, I've been guilty of this same thing. But would you kindly, if you haven't checked, be sure your cell phone is off. Because we don't want in any way what God wants to do in our hearts to be interrupted. Because, and I know you would never do it intentionally, just like I never have, but it has happened just double check and be sure your cell phone is off. 
because someone just called me on mine and you couldn't hear it because it was on my arm and it's silent. So just turn them off if you would right now. When the Apostle Paul wrote this passage of Scripture, there were some teachers of the law. It wasn't that they were offended by Paul preaching the gospel. It was they were offended by that the cross alone was good enough to save you. In other words, they were saying, you can boast about the cross, but you've also got to have good works if you want to be saved. It's kind of like a lot of people that I meet in our community. Some of them have even snarled when I've shared the gospel with them and read to them from the Bible. I mean, literally snarled. Well, if he doesn't think I'm good enough, I want nothing to do with him. That's a blind and a deceived person. For the day will come where we will all tremble in the presence of God. And those words will come back to haunt us. Paul says, though, you must boast only in the cross. When he says that, he's saying something that you and I need to grasp hold of tonight. Because Paul understood the cross. And Paul is more intriguing for me to listen to than even Matthew or Peter or James or John. Because Paul hated Christ. Paul despised Christ. Paul hated and despised the people who followed Christ. And in his fury and his jealousy, he had persecuted them, imprisoned them, put some to death because Paul felt justified because this crazy man who claimed to be God had died upon a cross. But the moment he understood the cross, it so changed him that the world had lost its hold upon him. He would say, the world has lost its interest in me and I've lost my interest in this world. The, the world literally, its grasp upon the apostle Paul was broken, but Paul's grasp upon the things of this world were broken as well. It's the reason that Paul says these words, make God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle, the peace and the mercy of God of those who boast only in the cross, who trust only in what Jesus has done for us. When we understand the cross of Christ, when I understood finally in my life, even though I grew up in a good church and with a godly family, when I finally understood the cross and what the cross truly meant, my life was revolutionized. My understanding was changed. My priorities towards daily life was changed. And I finally, even though I had committed my life to Jesus at 16 years of age, I suddenly discovered a peace and I suddenly discovered a confidence that I had never known during that time until I finally dawned upon me the power of the cross. If someone who was very insecure and someone who had been mocked and laughed at and scorned because of disabilities, wanting people's approval and wanting to be able to prove myself meant the world to me. And I strived hard in everything to try and win that approval and win the approval of people. But when I understood the cross, then suddenly it wasn't the world's interest in me or my interest in the world that mattered anymore. Suddenly, I had peace, and I had security, and I understood mercy, and suddenly, I understood compassion. I understood what it meant to literally be able to not just say, I empathize with you, but to have compassion. 
I understand what you're going through if I had been through something similar as you had because the power of the cross revolutionized my life. It's why I can say it with a smile on my face as I greeted people today and as I greeted people yesterday, pointing them to the cross, say, happy Good Friday. It's a happy, happy day for us. Is your life characterized by peace? Is your life characterized by compassion? Is your life characterized by security tonight? Is your life characterized not by a self-confidence, but by a Christ-confidence? Is your life characterized by a revolutionary understanding of what the cross has done? Because once you understand what Jesus did for you at the cross, then holiness doesn't become a hope for. Holiness doesn't become something you earn. Holiness doesn't become something you work for. Holiness becomes the gift of God in your life. And as I've shared with you so many times, holiness is best described by the Apostle Paul as he describes the fruit of the Spirit, the love and the peace and the joy and the kindness and the gentleness and the self-control. These are the characteristics of a holy life. It's not how I dress. It's not what I wear as far as jewelry. It's not what I burn as incense. It's what God has done for me through the power of the cross. So today on Good Friday, I remember that the cross offends many people. It's hard for me to understand that since I have come to understand what the cross means, but I have really come to understand why the cross is so offensive to so many people. In Galatians 5:11, brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching that circumcision is necessary, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the cross wouldn't be offensive anymore. Backing up a chapter from the one we just read, Paul is saying, do you know why I'm being persecuted? If I was to compromise and to say, add this to what Jesus has done, add this to what Jesus has done, then everybody would love me. Everything would be okay. But he was speaking truth, as some people like to say, not only to power, but he was speaking truth to the religious movements. He was speaking truth to the Galatians that the cross is offensive. Paul is saying this to Dennis Clanton tonight, to Rebecca Clanton, and to all of you. It is what Jesus did at the cross and what he did alone that saves you. It is not what you do that saves you. Oh, we will do good works, make no doubt about it. But that is not what saves us. But there are those who say, well, it's good to believe in the cross, and we celebrate the cross but the cross by itself is not enough. You've got to have good works if you're going to be saved. And with that, the Apostle Paul took a firm disagreement because as long as I've still somehow or another got to try and save myself, how can Good Friday be Good Friday? Because that was exactly what the Jewish people were trying to do in the law. There was a church a few years ago in another state that upset their community, upset their local newspaper, and even upset some of their own parishioners. For they built a cross out of guns that had been melted down, that they were given by the local police department. They built a cross out of knives that they had been given by the local police department, out of chains and bats, 
things that had been used to murder other people. They made a cross out of it. And then on top of that, that as the base of that cross, they planted that cross in the middle of a wrecked car where a drunk driver had taken out the life of a family. And around that car and around that cross, they took prison wire given to them by a local prison, rusty prison wire, and they built a fence around it. And they just simply put these words, Calvary covers it all. And there were people who took offense at that because it said to them, you're not good enough. Brothers and sisters, no matter how good we are, none of us are good enough to get to heaven. It took the blood of Jesus Christ to wash away our sins. You see, it's good to be a good person. It's even better to understand that your sins and my sins or my sins and your sins were so bad that when God, before God ever created anything that exists, God thought to himself, there's going to be a problem. There's going to be a problem. For Adam and Eve will betray me. They will betray the Son of God and they will crucify him. It was so bad that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had to come into this world, take upon himself the form of a sinless human being, live and do good among us. It's how the gospel writer Luke describes his life. He both began to do good and teach whatever Jesus did. And as one of the Muslim friends that I was talking with yesterday says, oh, Jesus was such a good man, a good man. He did good things. This good man, this man of love, this man of peace and grace, it wasn't the Jews and it wasn't the Romans. It was you and I along with them who crucified Christ. And God gave him for us. You see, this puzzles me. I still, even though I love to read theology the way some of you like to read the newspaper or watch Netflix or whatever, I love to read theology. And I've tried to grapple and to wrestle with this. For God said, let there be light, and boom, there was light. He didn't go to Menlo Park and run 1,000 experiments and find 999 ways how not to create a light bulb. He just spoke, and there was light. He spoke, and there was grass, and there were trees. He spoke, and there were animals and mountains. When God spoke, things happened. Oh, how many times I've wished that when I spoke, things happened. How many times as parents have you wished that you spoke and things happened? God spoke and it happened, but when he came to saving you and I, there was no way that he could speak our forgiveness. I've been asked this question so many times. Why didn't God just forgive? Why do you believe Jesus had to die? The Bible says, if we back up one more chapter in the book of Galatians, that God sent him, Jesus, to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so he could adopt us as his very own children. Listen, listen well. Our sins were serious. And forgiveness is expensive. Our sins were serious. And forgiveness is expensive. Forgiveness is never easy. Nobody, listen, listen, nobody ever forgives without someone 
having to pay the price. I went to get a book out of my library this evening and bring it to you in my study, and it's a book that I have used over, and it's one of those books I talked to you about earlier tonight. You read over and over, and I paid well over $100 for it well before I moved up here to Michigan. Reading that book and studying it over and over. But if I was to loan you that book, and you know that someone that borrows a book and doesn't return it is worse than an infidel. <laughs> if I was to loan you that book, and you were to go to Starbucks and you were to read that book with a good cup of Ethiopian Sadamo coffee, you would be that close to heaven. <laughs> But if you were to take that book and you walked out of Starbucks and you forgot it and you went back to Starbucks and they said, oh, I'm sorry, we haven't found your book. I'm sorry, there's no book around. We'll make some calls, but nobody ever returned the book. And so you come to me and you apologetically say, you know, I, I lost your book. And being the kind of people you are, you say, but pastor, I'll be happy to pay you for that book. You're making restitution. But forgiveness is if I said, no, that's okay. I'll pay for the book. Don't worry about it. You see, somebody has to absorb the cost. Either you absorb the cost or I absorb the cost. Sin just never disappears into thin air. Sin is expensive. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do when you understand that sin just doesn't disappear? I remember when Becky and I were students at Southeastern Bridal College, as some people like to call it instead of Bible college. There was a saying that went around all the time. It says, don't lead someone on. Don't lead someone on. And sometimes a guy or a girl would be dating somebody and their friends would know they weren't nearly as serious as the person that we're dating. And some of us might say, or someone might say, don't lead them on. Don't waste six to eight months of their life while you're in college. Don't make them think you're in love with them, that you're wanting to commit to them because you're wanting somebody to go with you on a date. If you just want to be friends, say we want to be friends and we can go to Harmon's. That was a gathering place for pancakes and coffee. We just want to be friends. But when someone gives their heart and they're in love and you're not, they've wasted six to eight months of your life. And I can remember those late nights in the dorm when we would pray for a friend or in the chapel service when there would be a brokenhearted girl. And the question was always, why did they lead me on? Why did they waste this much time in my life? Oh, I could go on and on with stories like that. But you see, you have a choice. And I remember one of our professors talking to us about this. You have a choice. You could be mean about that person. You can gossip about them. You can say bad things about them. You can be sure that everybody knows what they've done to them, to you. You can even try to make them pay in some way. Or you can choose to forgive. The great irony is... Somebody still has to pay. Either the person being gossiped about or the person who forgives the other person. You still have to pay. 
you still have to forgive because the only way, please hear me on this good Friday night, the only way that somebody can control you is if you choose not to forgive them. That is the only way anybody can control you is if you choose not to forgive them. For when you refuse to forgive them, you, they occupy your thoughts. They occupy your emotions. They determine how you respond to other people. Those of us who've done a lot of counseling over the years, it's a truism that we've seen so many times in people's lives. They react to certain people. They react to certain things, not because this person has ever done anything, said anything, but they remind them of someone who has hurt them in times past that they've not forgiven. So the only way you can beat the thing is to learn to forgive. And what it means to forgive is you've got to absorb the cost of the forgiveness. That means I'm not going to make you pay. That means I'm not going to hold you liable. That means I'm going to absorb the cost of whatever hurt or pain you bought in my life. You see, the fact of the matter is, all of us, all of us have sinned. And all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. None of us are exempt from that. You see, sin is the debt every one of us owe that every one of us can't pay. Sin is the debt that every one of us owe that none of us can pay. You can't make it good. You can't make it right. Well, how many times have I had people say to me, how can I make this right? How can I make this good? Maybe you've said it to somebody. There are some things that you do to people you just can't make good. You have to be forgiven. You have to be forgiven because there's no way you can take back the words you've said. There's no way you can take back the mean things that you've done. There's no way you can take back the gossip that you've done. You just have to seek forgiveness and confess it and acknowledge it. And in that acknowledgement, if that person chooses to forgive you, that person absorbs the cost and you are set free. And they are set free. It's what Jesus has done for us. Nobody is ever going to make a prisoner out of God. I have a letter in my files that I received some time ago here from a man who had murdered someone. It was in a rage. I have several letters like that over the years. And he wrote me asking for counsel and asking for prayer and Bible scriptures, and we wrote back and forth and communicated with one another. And I would cry as I read, and everything in me wanted to see this man set free out of compassion. But society would fall apart if somebody didn't absorb the cost of what he's done. Can you imagine if somebody murdered your child, and they come up before the judge and they say, Judge, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done it. I know it. I was drunk. I, I, I ran over that kid. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And the judge looks at them and says, Oh, you poor thing. I know you're sorry. I set you free. That father, that mother would rise up and say, I cannot absorb the cost of this emotionally. I cannot pay the price of this spiritually. I hear people talking in politics so glibly about justice anymore that inside I cringe because we've lost all understanding of what justice is. 
How could God, Paul says, be both just and merciful? That's the great mystery of the gospel. And he could be that because justice and mercy met in Christ when Christ died for your sins. So don't think I'm being just somehow or another sentimental when I say read the Gospels. Be selective about some verses about the cross. Read a book about the cross. Sing those hymns when I survey the wondrous cross upon which the Prince of Glory died. Let that fire get into your soul until once again you burn white hot with a gratitude for what Jesus Christ has done for us tonight at Calvary. That's what we need. You see... The only way, the offense of the cross is that the only way to God is through Jesus' death. That's the offense of the cross. There are times when I feel that pressure. I had someone in the city of Detroit several months ago in a meeting I was asked to participate in came to me and says, Pastor, you've just got to agree that all roads lead to God. And there was a crowd of politicians. There was a crowd of religious leaders standing around. And they were all looking at me to see what I would say. And I could feel the pressure because they were all nodding their heads with this very solemn speaking, well-spoken, well-dressed, well-mannered, and I like him. And I said, no, I disagree. The only way to God is through the cross of Jesus Christ. And if that's not true, then Jesus is a liar and a lunatic. And none of us should even consider Christianity. And there was a murmur around and then engaged conversation that I don't have time to go in. But there was young, one young man that came out of that crowd as I was leaving and came to me. And he said, may I shake your hand? And I said, yes. He says, I needed that. I have felt so much pressure. But I needed to see someone bold enough to say that it is only through the cross of Jesus. And friends, there's still people, I was just invited to another meeting, there's still people that I like and admire, but the Holy Spirit will bear witness with you if your spirit is sweet and compassionate. We don't say, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We say it the way I imagine Jesus would have said it. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And I want everybody to know the meaning of Good Friday. There have been so many people that have asked me this question over the years. I've tried to learn clever ways to answer. I've tried to learn witty ways to answer. I've tried to learn humorous ways to answer. But there's no humorous and witty and clever way to answer this question. You just must simply be like the Apostle Paul. You must understand first and foremost that for you, for you and for me, the only way to God is through Christ. Because until we believe that with all of our hearts, 
until we glory in that, we will find it hard when the pressure comes to stand up for that and to stand up with the sweetness in our spirit and the witness of the witness of the Holy Spirit will never accompany an arrogant man. The witness of the Holy Spirit will never accompany a haughty man. The witness of the Holy Spirit will never cut the cover a man who depends upon the power of the flesh or his own mind. The witness of the Spirit will always depend upon those who depend upon Christ and Christ alone. That's the truth of the gospel. When we were out at the Grand Canyon a few years ago, and some of you were there on this trip to fine arts in Phoenix, Arizona, one of the finest cities to ever host us all was Phoenix. And we took an afternoon or a day and drove up to the Grand Canyon. I was talking to one of the rangers about people who had fallen off the cliff and died. He was telling me how many of them had been foolish things. But you know, I have read foolish stories. You've read foolish stories for somebody in order to prove they've loved somebody, they've jumped off a cliff, they've jumped off a bridge, maybe they've gone through a breakup and they've left a silly little love note that says, I love you so much I can't live without you, so they jumped off a bridge or they jumped off a cliff. That's just sheer stupidity. But now, if I fall off a cliff or fall off a bridge trying to save your life, then you know that I love you. Do you see what I'm saying? Calvary was no accident. Christ came to take our sins upon him. You see, today I remember to always boast in the cross of Christ. We boast about the things that make us look good. We boast about the things that make us feel good. What makes you look good? What makes you feel good about yourself? Is it your achievements? Is it your financial status? Is it your professional career? Is it your intelligence? Is it your good looks? Is it your social set? What makes you feel? What do you boast about? We boast about the things that make us feel good. What's the one thing that you have built your self-esteem upon? And I'm not against any of those things I've just named. But Paul looks at the cross and he glories and he exalts in it. In Galatians 6.14, as he surveys the cross, he says, As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sir, until you know that what makes your life worth living is that Jesus died to save your sins, you really don't understand the purpose and the meaning of life. It's what Christ did for us. I told you I found peace and security because suddenly all of the, the contradictions of life, they all found reconciliation, at least in my life, in the cross. Finally, this evening, on this day, I remember that Jesus brought my freedom at the cross. I hate sin. I was with a group of soldiers one time, and Becky, you were there. You'll remember this. Willem asked me, he says, how do you feel about sin? And another who was a chauffeur for a general, he looked up and said, he was from Kentucky. He looked up and he said, he's again it. That pretty well sums it up right there. I'm again it, but it doesn't mean that I haven't participated in it. Do you see what I'm saying? 
Yesterday, someone showed me a business card from a funeral director. He says, look at this. And they pulled out of their wallet a business card from a funeral director. And I go, okay. Like, you know, why are you giving me this? He says, no, look at the other side. And the funeral director had printed on the other side, thank you very much for smoking. <laughs> I'm again that too. <laughs> You see, <laughs> you see that some of the people that I feel sorriest for are those that I see, they're in bondage to tobacco and can't get rid of it. They're chewing gum. They're wearing patches. They're doing everything they can. And they've told me, says, oh, you just don't understand. And I, I don't understand. But I understand the lure of sin. One of the stories that has moved me most in my life was this, the story of Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom was speaking in a church, and one of the deacons in the church came up to her. She was speaking about forgiveness. You perhaps have read this story. It's been told in so many books. It's been written about in Guidepost and other magazines. And he came up and he thanked her for her message on forgiveness. And he says, Fräulein, I was a guard at Ravensbrook. She didn't tell him, but she recognized him the whole time she was preaching. Her blood ran cold as she remembered Betsy dying, her sister. She remembered him with the stick that he carried on his side. She remembered his cruelty. And she said when he came up and stuck out his hand, she said, I know it wasn't a long time, but it seemed like forever because nothing in my heart wanted to forgive him. My blood ran cold. My heart stopped. And so many memories came to mind. She said, but I knew that forgiveness wasn't an emotion. Forgiveness was an act of my will. And she said, I don't know how to explain it, but when I stuck out my hand, and he took my hand and I said, I forgive you. She said, it was as though the power of God rushed through me and the weight and the burden of all of that flowed out. And she said, I wish I could tell you that I never had any trouble forgiving anyone else, but I have learned that forgiveness is always an act of the will. And she says, how do you pray? You just pray real simply, Jesus, Help me to forgive. Honey, if you'll come to the piano, I have one more minute. You see, I can forgive the world. I can forgive those who have sinned against me because the cross is my glory. I can rebuke the world because the cross is my glory. I love the people of this world, but I can rebuke them because the world no longer has a hold upon me is what the Apostle Paul is saying. I don't need their approval. You will never confront somebody. Listen to me. Some of you parents need to hear this. You will never confront somebody as long as you need their approval. But when you love them more than you need their approval, 
you can confront them in love. It's what Paul said, I have lost my interest in this world and this world has lost its interest in me. Oh, Paul loved this world because he went as far as he could and gave his life to preach the gospel. But you will never, ever, ever be free for the world until first you are freed from the world. You'll never be free for this world until you're free from the world. And that's the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. And I encourage us all tonight to remember it's Good Friday. And I encourage you that if you have not crossed the line and surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, that you would recognize Christ loves you. Christ didn't just come to Calvary because of stupidity. He came because from the foundations of the world, God chose to create us and to give himself in order to save us from our sins. Would you stand with me tonight? Hallelujah. Would you just take a moment and worship him? Feel free just to lift your hands to him and just thank him for the cross. or maybe you have slipped away from your commitment or maybe you're like that young man who slipped out of the crowd as I was leaving and you just need to be emboldened would you pray this prayer with me tonight say Heavenly Father thank you I see and I understand now Calvary was not an accident before you ever spoke a tree or light into existence, you knew what we would do and how we would sin. Now on this holy night, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I can't absorb the cost. I can't pay the debt. But I believe that you have paid it for me. I don't want to be spiritual. I want to be adopted, as the scripture said tonight, as a son or a daughter of God. So as much as I know how, I commit myself to you. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And let's everybody say it together. Amen. Amen. Bless you. I love you.